glad to be back with you this week. We're going to continue on with our with our uh, with our learning learning together. But I I do know that many of you are wanting another sabbatical update for Mark. So I thought I would just give you a, another update. We talked last week about how. You know, uh, if, if you read read up on sabbaticals, a common thing that people do is they like to reconnect with nature, and that was one thing. Another thing on the list was explore new opportunities. And, and I gave the example of, uh, you know, somebody who had uh, a star of a TV show who had kind of uh, left that TV show for a time to do a movie, but then came back and, and, and uh, felt renewed in that. And, uh, and of course, that's Mark's not a, a TV or a movie star, but uh, he did find an opportunity to just explore a new opportunity, a new idea. And so I was able to track him down a few Google searches, that sort of idea. And it turns out that Mark has been auditioning for Celebrity Dancing with the Stars. And so this is very exciting news. I don't know how far into the process he'll make it, but I feel like he'll do well. And so if I can think of another bit for next week, I'll tell you what he's up to next week. So uh, always thankful for that, but uh, always glad. Again, it sounds really weird to say, but glad that Mark's not here. I'm glad that Mark's uh, taking some time to connect with the Lord and just uh, grow in his faith. And in the meantime, it gives us a chance to kind of uh, work our way through a series that I'm just calling uh, Losing My Religion. And it's, it's just this idea that uh, you know may, maybe in the past 2,000 years, We've, we've lost something from the gospel, something powerful, something irresistible from the gospel uh, that, that has kind of been replaced by this idea of religion. And religion is this idea of, of, of trying to create a right relationship with God, that we are going to do something to create a right relationship with God. And, and last week we talked about how a lot of that for a lot of people is all about rule following. It's about if, if, if I follow the rules, if I do what's right, if I perform adequately, then I think God's going to love me more and God's going to be happier with me. And, and it leads us down a dangerous path. And so I was talking with my small group last week. I, I meet with a small group on Sundays and, and they kind of added to that. They said, you know, rule following, they, they, they certainly could agree with that. But they also talked about how, you know what, uh, for so many people in the church, the idea of routine and rituals become part of that definition as well. So maybe I'll call that my new definition, that religion is all about following rules and rituals and routines. And of course, the problem with that is it's not about relationship. It's not about connecting and becoming a part of what God's doing. It's, it's always still in us that I'm going to make this happen. And it can be for fantastic reasons. It's not that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. It's almost a case of maybe we're doing it in a way that God has not called us to do. And so, um, you know, last week we talked about the problem that, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to base what you're doing in the in a church or what you're doing in your walk with Jesus based on following rules, we talked about how most of us are not very good at following rules, and most of us can't even really decide on what those rules are. And in some cases, um, we can't even follow the rules that we create for ourselves. That we decide, you know, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start getting up in the morning. I'm going to start exercising more. I'm going to stop eating this, whatever it might be. And we make our own rules, and we still struggle with that. And there's something, there's something in us that's kind of, that, kind of a weakness, the Bible calls it. And so uh, that leads to a lot of tension. It leads to a lot of feeling of tension in our lives where we feel like God is constantly grading us. He's constantly looking at us and saying, that's not what I want. I want, I want more of that. I want less of that or whatever it might be. And, and I, I would say it this way, that really the only people who like to be evaluated are people who are very good at what they're being evaluated on. And so think of, a, you know, at school in a grade 12 physics class, you know who likes to get tested? You know who likes to get report cards? This guy does. You know who doesn't like it? Everybody else. 
right? If you're not good at something, you don't want to feel evaluated. So it causes us to draw back a little bit. It causes us to feel condemned even when we know that God does not condemn us. And so last week we looked at the first few verses in Romans 8. And we discovered that there's kind of two systems out there. There's an old system and there's a new system. And that old system was simply a cycle of sin and death. And we simply uh, summarized it like this. We said, if you sin, you die. If you sin, you die. And that's just a constant. That's just the way that the world works. And it's, it's, it's a rule that we can't, we, we can't choose to ignore. And so that's the old system. And then we found out there's a new system in place. And this new system came through with the power of Holy Spirit. It came through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. And so when we learned this, we learned that this new system leads us to a place of no condemnation. And we were literally uncondemnable. And I should probably pause there and maybe, maybe stress to you, I'm talking about in your relationship with God, not in all aspects of your life. For example, if you were to rob a bank and you were to find yourself in court, and you were to hire, let's say, me as your lawyer. And I don't know if you know this. I brought one of my business cards. That's one of my side hustles, actually. I'm, uh, this is my business card, Gary Watson Esquire, a guest speaker extraordinaire. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, ancient Greek language enthusiast and Bible-based criminal attorney at law. And so if you decide to rob a bank and hire me as your lawyer, I'm going to be honest with you. The only defense I will have for you is the precedent of Romans 8 v. 1. And I will simply say, Your Honor, let's save a lot of time here. Let's just speed this up. I would just like to point out to you that my client, although guilty, is uncondemnable. I don't know how that's going to work out, but it's probably going to end up in a prison sentence. Now, the good news is, if your prison sentence is short enough, you can just tell people you're on a sabbatical. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, so or about, what, about, uh, what about if you're, uh, you go to help your father-in-law build a deck like I did one time? And I went to the hardware store and I bought a, a brand new hammer. And I went there and he took one look at the hammer and said, that's a stupid hammer. I felt condemned. God didn't condemn me, but I felt, ah, oh, I've done this wrong. Or about if you forget your anniversary, you cannot quote Romans 8 verse 1 and expect to get away with it. We know that. But we also know that God says you are uncondemnable, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. How God feels about us cannot be changed or removed because of our actions, because it wasn't established on that. It was not through deeds and performance that we were saved, and therefore it's not through deeds and performance that we should live. And so last week we looked at Romans 8, 1 and 2, and it says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The power of the spirit of life has set me free from the power of sin and death. And we talked a little bit about the difference between you know, the, the, the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. The law of gravity still exists, but we, are, we have a greater power in our lives. And the power of the spirit of life has set me free. And that's, that's what we need to focus on. We're all born into the rule of sin and death. But because Jesus, because of Jesus, we now have a spirit of life. And that's not, if that's not the definition of a new rule, I don't know what is. It's the opposite of the old rule. It's not just a tweak or adjustment or a slight change. It's the exact opposite. It's a brand new way of living. And it's not just an add-on. It's a complete new way of living our lives that we may not have thought about before. And I already know that you know this. 
Because as believers, we all came to a moment where we simply said, uh, I can't do this on my own. I'm helpless. I'm defeated by sin and death. I'm hopeless when it comes to following the law, and I need a Savior. And I know that that's how you came to it, because that's the only way you can come to a, to a salvation relationship with God, is to admit that you need the Savior and accept the, the grace that Jesus provided. But here's what we don't need. We don't need a second chance. Because if I can be honest, we'll do no better with our second chance. You know, if God was to ask me, listen, Gary, how many chances are you going to need? I would reply a million. And he would say, not enough. It's just the nature of who we are. But that's the old system. The new system says it does, I don't need chances because God does not look at me any differently, whatever I'm struggling with. And we're, of course, going to talk in the next few weeks about how God wants us to live. This is not, uh, you know, an, an opportunity to just simply say, I can do whatever I want and just call myself a Christian. But it's very important we start at that understanding of no condemnation. The new system is all about relationship with him. The old system is about me, and the new system is about God. And there's a tendency for us when it comes to this new system, we, only, we accept it when it comes to salvation. We all know that, that in a moment of salvation, I accept that this is all God's doing. But then we seem to eagerly fall back into the world of performance immediately after and saying, now that I've, I've saved, I have to start doing things a certain way, and I'm going to do that in my strength. And that's where we get into trouble. The new system, the spirit of life in Christ system, has more impact in our daily lives than, than it does, sorry, not more, but as much impact in our daily lives as it does to that moment of salvation for us. And if we can understand this new system and how it's meant to change who we are, it'll have the, tran- the power to transform our lives. Because salvation has everything to do with eternity, but the spirit of life in Christ can have an even bigger impact on our lives today while we await eternity. And it may be something that's difficult to understand. We're going to look at a verse today that's kind of, a, to be honest, it's a little bit confusing, but it's a whole new approach to living. And so maybe I'll talk to kind of three different groups of people here tonight. And I'll start with the group that I found myself in most common. And it's a, it's a group of people that became a Jesus follower either as a teen or as an adult. So you kind of, you didn't grow up in the church. You, 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 you began your walk with Jesus as an adult or maybe in your later teens. But here's the thing. The people in this group, they already had a, a, a concept of right and wrong that was not based on what Jesus told them. It was probably based on what their parents told them, what their teachers told them, what the laws of the land were. They did not have that understanding of right and wrong from God. They had it secondhand through other people. And that leads us to an understanding eventually that we need a savior. We understand there's something wrong and we hear a gospel message and God moves us to accept that message. And when that happens, you have this huge wave of excitement and energy. You say things like, I'm on fire for Jesus, or, you know, I'm living for him. And you get involved, and you decide to go to Bible college about three months after you make that commitment because you think to yourself, this is the life that I think Jesus wants me to live. And so off you go. But then things cool down a little bit. And you're really not on fire anymore. Maybe you're just kind of warm. You know, I always used to say it's a little bit like, you know, I started out living for Jesus, and at some point I realized he's more of a roommate. Like, I know him, but I don't really know him. He's not an important part of my life. He was just kind of in my life. And I get to that point, and I, start, I, I, I want to make up for that tension I feel, that lack of relationship. So I try harder to do better. 
But I fail because everyone does. We saw that in last week's scripture verse. It says we are, we are doomed to failure. And I start to feel like I'm doing it wrong because I see other people who seem to be doing it right. And then you hear a great guest speaker. Thank you. Uh, you go to a cool event, you go to a worship night, you join a Bible study, and you get a little bit of that fire back. You get a little bit of that excitement back in your life. And now you're going to do better. But really what you're doing is you're learning to be a better rule follower. You're forcing yourself to go through these steps because that's what Jesus wants for me. But it always feels a little hollow. And every time you go through this cycle of you know, getting, getting kind of excited, getting, getting in, in, in line with God, and then kind of falling back out again, every time you feel a little bit further away until typically at some point you really wonder if what you had in the beginning was even real. That if that moment of salvation where you, you I don't know, in my case I cried, and, and, and that moment where I realized that God had done what he, God had done for me, and suddenly that seems very distant to where you were. And there's a simple reason for that. It's because you're living in the old system. You're living in the system where, I'm, where you're part of a religion. You're working hard, and, and bless you for it, but you're working hard to please God by doing for him what you think he wants you to do. Jesus did not come and die for us to be an add-on to the old system of sin and death. We have to understand that as a Jesus follower, as someone who believes and trusts in him, the old system is simply gone. Now, that's, that's been my story. For some of you, may, you maybe have a different story. Perhaps you grew up in the church uh, from, from, the, from the minute you were born. Uh, the, 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 day, the, you know, the first book that was read to you was a Bible story. And you've, you've always grown up in the church, and you've gone to church, and your parents have talked about the things of God, and you go to Sunday school. And you grew up very much learning what, what, uh, what God's all about from a church experience. And for you, it's always, been, um, it's always been easier for you to kind of look at yourself in the framework of being a Jesus follower because it feels like I'm doing a, I'm doing a good job. I know the answers when people ask questions. When I, I know how to respond. And for you, it's always, you always have to watch yourself because sometimes you get a little judgmental, to be honest, because you, a lot of what you're doing in church seems to come a little bit more naturally to you. You feel a little bit like you're getting, you're getting this thing figured out. And we see throughout the, throughout the Gospels, we see religious people, when they're ta- they seem to spend a lot of their time attacking Jesus because he was the opposite of the old system. He did not want you to become a better rule follower. He wanted your heart. And we also see that those people who had zero religious credentials often flocked to Jesus. And why is that? Because there was no judgment from Jesus. Just a call to believe in him and be changed by it. Jesus, Jesus never modeled religion to us. He modeled what it meant to trust in him. And he modeled this new system. Now there's a third group of people, those who we should all be looking to because they've figured something out. You see, they've realized that trying harder does not usually mean doing better. It just means more friction in that relationship. They, you see, they've realized that what they need to do is draw closer to Jesus rather than try to mimic him. They've realized that our best shot does not always equal a better relationship and a better result. Because here's the key thought for tonight. The Christian life is is best defined not as Christ-like, but rather as Christ-centered. The Christian life is best defined not as Christ-like, but as Christ-centered. That means that our goal is not to mimic Jesus, 
to try to think about what he would do in any in any given permission uh, position so we can do the same. Rather, is to put Christ at the center of all we do and the center of who we are. So let's take a look by picking up where we left off last week in Romans 8, 3. We, we looked at Romans 8, 3. And again, we're going to look at uh, the NIV translation tonight. And uh, that can be tricky sometimes because we often use the New Living Translation, the NLT. And it's really good at summarizing a thought for us. Uh, the NIV is a little more literal in a lot of cases, which means it's a little harder to comprehend sometimes. But I always think of what, uh, what Andy Stanley always says when he is teaching on a difficult subject. He always says this, Keep in mind that as long as it rings true to you, understanding every detail does not mean, is not a requirement for you benefiting from it. And so last week we talked about gravity and a 747 jet that weighs 500 tons and how it can defeat the law of gravity. And I'll tell you, here's some of the math. I don't get the math. I don't get the math. And trust me, you don't want me to be your pilot. But what I can do is I can benefit from the law of aerodynamics by taking a flight anywhere in the world. Compound interest. I don't really get the math. There's too many letters. Whenever there's more letters than numbers, I'm in trouble. There's too many numbers. I don't really understand it. And trust me, you don't want me to be your financial planner. But that doesn't mean I can't benefit from from, uh, investing in a retirement plan. Or how about this one? This one might be the most confusing here to look at. Uh, Trusses, when you build your house. I don't know how to do that math. And trust me, you don't want me to build your house. But I can benefit every day from having a stable roof over my house. I've never laid in bed at night staring up at the ceiling wondering if it was all coming crashing down. I have never in my life slept under, purposely slept underneath my bed. I guess actually I've never, I've, no, I've never accidentally slept underneath my bed either, but I've never purposely slept underneath my bed afraid that the roof might come crashing down. I can benefit from, from it without necessarily understanding every detail about it. And so the, the LT from last week we used to summarize this section, but I want to look at uh, a, a little bit more of kind of an exact translation as far as the wording so we can pick up on something that, that is really hard to see in the New Living Translation. So Romans 8.3, we did this first last week in the other translation, but Romans 8.3 says this, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Just leave that slide up for a second there. So all the good the good stuff in this first verse and a half, all these good things it was talking about, you know, God sending his son in the likeness to condemning, condemning sin in the flesh. All of these things are not meant necessarily for everyone. It could be everyone, but it is for believers. It is for those who are believers in Jesus. And it says this, it is meant, it is meant in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I want to start with this word flesh here because I, th- I think it's a, it's a hard one to, to kind of understand. Because I was talking to Zane about this, about something completely different earlier tonight. And he was talking about how he was reading a, a Greek word. And he said, there's two definitions that make total sense. And there's a third one. It's like, well, where'd that come from? And this is a bit true for this one as well. So I don't know about you. The word flesh kind of, I don't know, kind of sounds dirty to me. Kind of sounds like it's, a, you know, it's, it's something inappropriate. Um, and there's a part of that. That's part of that word. It's, it's sarkikos. It's kind of this carnal part of our, of our human selves. The root word literally means meat on the bone. 
And that makes sense to us too, right? Out of butcher, the flesh, right? That makes sense. But there's a third one, sarkanos. And it's, it's what we find 38 times in the Bible. When you see the word flesh in the Bible, unless he's talking about a steak dinner, uh, it's talking about one of these 38 references, sarkanos. And what it means, and I'm just pulling this from Strong's Greek Dictionary, it says, of human origin, or of human empowerment, or unaided human effort, the untouched or unchanged part of ourselves, and the part of us that has not been transformed by God. I want you to think about that for a second. In the original language with which this was written, they had a special word that basically explained the part of our human existence that is unchanged by God. Why are you not as excited about this as I am? What this means is, it it explains to us, when it says the word flesh here, it's talking about the part of us that wants to do performance-based things for him. And there's never anything wrong with trying to do the right thing. But we're told there's a new system where it's not about us laboring to do the right thing. It's about God transforming us so that we crave the right thing. It's only half the definition, though. Let's, let's leave the word flesh. We'll put that one up. Actually, we'll just, just jump to the other word. That word live, that one is the most hard to kind of understand why they translated it the way they did until we, until we really get into it. So that word live is actually the focus of tonight's edition of Let's Take a Peek at the Greek. All right, I'm going to need a volunteer. Some, oh, that was quick. Come on up. Woo. Woo. All right. Well, well oh, I was going to say, while we're waiting for the music to gently fade out, uh, I got to thank Chris Stone for, uh, for creating that uh, background song for us. That was awesome. But uh, your name, sir? Isaac. This is Isaac. Are we agree with that? Yeah? Okay, this is Isaac. His last name's Isaac? Oh, is your name Isaac Isaac? That'd be cool and, and weird. Um, okay, Isaac, so welcome. Thanks for coming up. We're going to play a little game called Peek at the Greek. And what that means is I'm going to show you a Greek word. You're going to pronounce it for all of the dozens and dozens of people watching live and the other dozens and dozens of people watching online. And they're going to get a chance to hear you pronounce a word in Greek. And this is the word for live as found in this verse. So here we go. Let's take a look at the clue. All right. Got it? What's that? Son? Ah, so we're going to ask, we're ask Brian that. Brian, what is that middle symbol? The Patriots. The Patriots. What are the Patriots team nickname? What do they call them? The Pats, right? So that's Pat. So we got Pat in the middle there. I, I was thinking about just putting up a picture of my Aunt Pat, but I thought that's probably not going to help you much. So we got a pear, the sound E, Pats. What's the next one? Sheep? What's another name for sheep uh, if it's a female sheep? You. I forget. You. There you go. You. It's pronounced you. And then finally, the end is what? See. Right? So we have a pear, we have the letter E, we have a pat, we have a U, and we have a scene. And if it's easier, you can just use your original Greek at the bottom. I'm not going to stop you if that's easier. Let's hear your best attempt to say this word. Perry, Pat, you seen? That sounded pretty good. You're going to say it one more time, and then Zane is going to hit the actual answer, and all the crowd's going to go nuts if they think you got it right. Ready? Perry, Pat, you seen? 
the, the home audience was not was not paying attention. Ready? Perry Patuccine. Perry Patuccine is 100% correct. Now you may cheer. Woo! All right. We have up here for you three doors with three radically similar prizes. Which one would you like? Two. Two? Uh, actually, there's nothing behind two. Pick another number. Three? Three. Three is a winning combination. Three is a week-long supply of of craft Greek feta and oregano Greek salad dressing. Big round of applause. Thank you very much, Isaac. Isaac Isaac. There are no refunds on that, so fantastic. Peripatusine. Peripatusine. This is a word that has been translated in this verse to mean, uh, to, to mean live. But here's, here's, here's another version of the word. This is actually the, the root word for the word that means to walk. When Peter was asked to walk on water, it used that word. Every time, every single time in the Bible, we would hear about the disciples and Jesus walking from town to town. They use that root word as well. And so it's like, well, what, what does that mean? Why does it say live when clearly it meant walk? And what would walk mean? Because obviously here it's talking about a very physical walking, and that can't be what it means. And so there is a third commonly held um, definition for that word, and this is the one that's so interesting to me. It says there's an additional meaning that means walking completely around something or coming full circle. The idea of completely encompassing something. And in this case, it refers to everything that's happening in our lives. What it's saying is, if you live... Can we put that verse back up, Zane? Sorry, I didn't ask for it. But uh, 4, Romans 8, 4. When you see the word live here, who do not live according to the flesh, what it means is the part of... You have everything in your life. Every single aspect of your life is encompassed in this this word live. or, Or more traditionally, this word walk. And when we look at that, what we realize is of the, when we, if we restate that last section, understanding what we said about uh, live in flesh, it says we who do not live or walk according to the flesh or t- to the part of us that is not of God. So when we read that verse, what it's, it's, it, it's difficult to understand because it's like what does flesh mean and what does it mean? Live, live is like how do you live something? It's this idea of walking in the flesh. It's about this idea of having everything in your life completely um, held within this idea of flesh. And again, flesh is not, does not mean our physical bodies. It means something completely different. What it means is, again, from what we learned is, it means the part of us that we hold back from God, the part of us that is still just completely uh, of us. And what that tells us, and this is why I said I can't believe you guys aren't as excited about this as I am, what that tells us is there has to be a part of us that is transformed by God. There is an opportunity for us to be 100% transformed by God because that's what walking in the spirit means. If walking in the flesh means it's walking and doing things that are not of God, that means the opposite has to be. So when it, when it says to us walking in the spirit, that means that the opposite means we are transformed completely by God. And this is important. So if I just to maybe to summarize, what does walking in the flesh mean before we dive into walking in the spirit? Walking in the flesh, uh, walking according to the flesh is trusting my strength 
and my determination to bring about whatever changes I feel I need to take place, I need to see take place. Walking in the flesh means, walking according to the flesh means choosing to retain control in my life. And I like this one. Walking according to the flesh is the idea that God gives me my marching orders and then I take it from there. Of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to live for God. But God has set apart a new system for us and said there's a way in which you can be transformed to become more like me. And it's not by looking back and trying to mimic and trying to copy and trying in your own strength to make that happen. He says there's something called the spirit that's going to allow you to be transformed. What does that look like? Well, let's move, sorry, what does that, where does that take us? Walking in the flesh, where does that take us? Just to finish the concept here, Romans 8 verse 5 says this, those who live according to the flesh, again, that same word walk, according to the flesh, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Those who walk according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, capital S Spirit, we're talking about Holy Spirit, have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Now that expression, the, light, the mind governed by the flesh is death. That's the old system. Remember, we've come full circle. The mind focused on the flesh leads to death, and that's come full circle to the original old system of you sin and you die. He says, that's where living in the flesh takes you. That's where your natural progress will take you. If you choose to live in the flesh, if you choose to live in your own strength, no matter how hard you try, and even no matter how successful you seem to be in pleasing God, he says, that journey takes you back to the law of sin and death. What happens when you become a Christian? Well, you know you can't do it. You know you need a savior. And, to, and when, when you need a savior, you understand that you need to be saved from the penalty of sin. That's condemnation. But you also need to be saved from the power of sin. And we accept this by faith. And we all do it because that's how it's done. We accept that we are saved by faith because we know there's no way that we can earn it. But what we need to do is what we need to understand is that there's no performance-based component in being saved, and there's no performance-based component in living that life. We need to come full circle. We need to take our lives back to that moment of salvation when we knew it was all God and nothing from us, and we need to stay there. Instead of admitting once you need Jesus, you need to live in that knowledge every day to simply say, I can't, but you can. Because that is not religion. That is a relationship with and a dependence on your Savior. Because it's not my strength or my determination, it's his. It's simply saying, I can't, but you, Lord, can. Because whatever you faced, I promise you, Jesus faced it a hundred times worse. You think you faced temptation. Think about Jesus, what Jesus was tempted with. You think you faced betrayal. Think about what Jesus faced. You think you faced hatred, false accusations, loneliness. Think about what Jesus had to face. You think you faced anger or reasons to be afraid. Jesus has faced that so much more. And we're not done with this, this, this idea yet. We'll come back to it next week. But it's so key that we understand it's not wrong to want to please God. But maybe the way we're going about doing it is not how God has said he wants it done. There was an old system that we are no longer under, that system of law. There's a new system, and Holy Spirit has come to be transformative in our lives. And maybe once 
Uh, and, and maybe what I can simply just to close tonight, maybe I'll just ask you to do this. Maybe once this week, or if you want a gold star, maybe every, every single morning this week, you could just wake up and you can start your day with a simple prayer. And that's to simply do this. Name something that you're struggling with. Name something that you're finding difficult to let God and simply say this, Lord, I know that I can't, but you can. I can't, I can't, but you can is choosing to trust God because I know that he is faithful. I can't, but you can can be the start of a life-changing change in our lives forever. And we simply need to acknowledge that I can't, but I know that you can. Why don't we pray? Lord, just so thankful for, for a chance to just be in your word, Lord, to read through Romans. And Romans can be difficult to read. It's, 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 it's Paul's master class on, on Christianity, Lord. And as we make our way through it, we know it can be difficult. But we also know, Lord, there are simple truths here that, that we need to grab a hold of. That there was an old system, an old law-based system, Lord, that you came to do away with that. And you came, to, you came to do away with that in a powerful way by creating a new system. A new system based on faith and belief in you. Religion is not our goal. The Christian life is. The Christ-centered life is. And whether it's with our jobs, our marriages, our, our, our kids, with all of our relationships, Lord, we just want to walk and live a Christ-centered life. And that means being changed by you. Maybe we have people who simply declare, I can't, but you, Lord Jesus, can. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, what would uh, Kingsway be without uh, a couple questions for you to ponder. If you have a chance to, to meet with somebody and talk with somebody about these questions, it's always great to do that. Uh, or it might just be you kind of working through it. But uh, what about today's talk maybe jumped out at you? Um, I'd love to hear, and I always I really enjoy hearing from my small group when we work through these questions, but I'd love to hear, how would you describe a Christ-centered life? What is it and what isn't it? And finally, what's going on in your life today that could use a good dose of, I can't, but you, Lord, can't? And so, uh, and as always, take some time to pray with your small group, um, with your family group, with, you know, on the drive home. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter with who. But just to dig a little deeper in is, is always our goal for you. And so beyond that, thank you so much for your, your time tonight. And uh, just have a great week, and we'll see you again next week.